0: Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about cinnamon. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, at let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. to dig into cinnamon with you. It's a great wintertime spice that is easily accessible in most grocery stores. But first, I just have a couple notes that I want to talk about herbalism in general, a couple of conversations that I've been a part of or witnessed um, that, I, that I think are poignant that I'd like to share. So one conversation was about elecampane and it was in a group of herbalists and herb students and we were all just kind of sharing our sense of elecampane and what we were really talking about was the, trying to really describe the taste of elecampane and you know I had mentioned that it was almost like essence of musky attic with a hint of peppermint, or like hanging out in like a really dank swamp, but with a high note, like a really deep earthy taste, but with a high note. And an herbalist in the group said, yeah, it's like being in a basement and playing the trumpet, (laughs) which I thought was awesome. And then another person in the group, a budding herbalist, said that You know she had worked with Ella campaign a lot, but she couldn't. She realized that she couldn't really partake in the conversation because she had always only worked with it in a formula, and she had. She knew it was beneficial and was in a lung support formula, but she couldn't really speak any more to it than that. Um, Even though she had taken it quite a bit in this one formula and made this formula multiple times, that she had gotten out. Of a well known herbalist book. Um, And we have always in this herb group, you know, talked about the importance of simples and working with herbs one at a time so that you can really know the herb and be able to talk about it and be able to share your information and your experience about that one herb. It's one way that we can really keep herbal medicine as people's medicine, which basically means it's medicine for all people, not just highly trained people or um, effluent people. It can be for anyone. And the way it can be for anyone is that we can talk about it and share about uh, individual herbs, and it's a lot easier to do that when we have experience with individual herbs, where if you know, this woman had been working with this one formula, then all that she knew about Ella Campaign or any herb for the lungs is them working together in this formula. And so then for her to have to share what she knew with her friends and neighbors, she'd say, well, either you have to get this formula from me, or it has these, I think it even had more than five Herbs in it. We had asked her what was in the formula, and she said, Well, there's I don't even think she could list them all, but off the top of her head it was Ella Campaign and Marshmallow and Mullen and I don't even remember them all, maybe Echinacea. But that's like part of it. It's like part of the whole communication and having this conversation was like, okay, well, she had great experience with this formula. But the list of herbs was so long that, like, I can't—I couldn't even retain the number of herbs that was in it. And I remember, you know, the we we're just like, well, that's a whole mouthful of herbs. I mean, it's a lot to, and it's a lot of really different herbs um, that are going to have really different effects and um, benefits on the body. And if you're taking it, probably in a tincture in small amounts, it's like you never going to really be in close relation with any of those herbs other than maybe when you're blending the formula. So I understand that there is value in herbal formulas, but when we're really talking about herbal medicine as people's medicine and being able to share our experiences with each other and pass on herbalism as people's medicine, it really benefits us all if we work with herbs on individual basis so that we can share about the herbs individually. And then if we want, we can add a couple, one or two herbs. If we want to change the flavor or if we want to work with a couple things at once or in a day you could work with two or three herbs, but maybe not all in one remedy. And so that Conversation was just a really nice way of kind of driving home this whole concept for me of the importance of working with simples and being able to communicate and share information about herbs with each other and keeping herbalism as people's medicine. And then I listened also last week to a really lovely interview, um, conversation between two herbalists, and there was a clinical, I guess they both had clinical experience, and the main clinical herbalist, who'd been a clinical herbalist for a long time, it sounded like, and I thought one of the really poignant things that she was talking about was the con the constant challenge of when you know people are paying you for herbal advice and wisdom and remedies that you ha- you kind of like have this underlying, and I think it's very cultural um, desire or want to give people their money's worth, which could mean making it a little bit more complex than it needs to be. like, oh well, You know, I just spent all this time with them and they have this complex problem. Let's give them their money's worth and let's give them five to 10 different herbs or supplements or whatever to take home and to start incorporating into their daily routine. And it's, and I have, I've even found myself in that mindset. I mean, I think it's a really common mindset, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And, you know, if someone comes to you um, and you're just like, oh, well, stinging nettle nourishing infusion, you know, and they're like, okay, well, here's your so much money. And it's just, it doesn't seem like a big answer, but honestly, like that one herbal infusion could really, the simplicity of it and the complexity within that one herb could have Drastic effects on someone's body. And so sometimes, like, and not only that, but then it's a lot easier for compliance. Like, sometimes all people can do is to just do one new thing, one new thing to their lifestyle and diet to help to change their life when we're already so enmeshed in our normal routines and habits. And even just that one thing can be hard. So the more complexity that we provide people, like the more detailed and vast the formulas and, you know, because we want to give them their money's worth and we want the herbalism to be like as involved and complex as it can be, I think in a lot of ways we're doing ourselves and our the people that we are working with or our friends or family or the people we're sharing information about a disservice because it removes them, it disempowers them from what they're working with. Another thing that was really kind of rang clear to me in this really interesting interview was um, that the whole idea of like, having a complex health condition or like a really chronic health condition or multiple health conditions or problems and feeling like, oh, well, if it's a really complex, detailed health condition or really serious health condition, then it must need really complex, like detailed and, in, and a variety of herb treatment. Must be like a pretty serious herbal treatment, and so therefore you have to go see a clinician, and you know it must be very involved and expensive. And I think this is also cultural programming based on our current modern medical model. And what came through in this interview, what the herbalists were saying, and the clinician was actually and in, in and saying is, you know, we 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 have that interest, like we want to design something really complex for them, but something that she had found like repeatedly over and over is sometimes really simple herbal remedies had really profound effects on even really complex situations. And to me, this is also the beauty of herbal medicine as people's medicine. You know, herbs are so complex, each an individual herb, is so complex in and of itself. And human bodies are designed for complexity. Like we are very complex and our body is designed to handle the complexities of the natural world and the variations of the natural world. But we can find that in just one herb or in you know a, a rotation of single herbs throughout a week's time. And sometimes that alone can have profound effects. So, we don't necessarily need complexity or these like big, huge, crazy herb protocols to fix really chronic, complex problems. It can be simple. And that's the beauty of herbalism it can be very simple, it can be very safe and it can be very effective and sometimes it can be very hard to believe that <laughs> because we are so i believe like really culturally programmed to have a different mindset about health and healing and that come and so i don't know those were some interesting thoughts and that have come through and to me this week and i just thought i would like to share them with you I had another question um from someone who messaged me on Instagram and it was something along the lines of her niece was getting very heavily involved in a multi-level marketing essential oil company and was very involved and um had a strong belief in essential oils and this person was The person who messaged me, the auntie, was asking if I had, you know, what kind of um, resources I could send her to, that she could then send to her niece about the hazards of essential oils. Because her niece has um, autoimmune conditions that have been getting worse since she's been involved with essential oils, which totally makes sense. Um, And... She said that you know she had done some research her on her own, and that she what she had found was basically just a lot of essential oil propaganda. And so, I would say to you that, Auntie, that you probably aren't going to change your niece's mind. Unfortunately, Um, it sounds like, you know, she's very invested. In this belief in, in essential oils. And not only that, but if she's selling them, then it's now a part of her livelihood. And if you're going to challenge her livelihood, um, she's going to react negatively to that because that's challenging her life to some degree, how she makes her money, how she feeds herself. And if you start breaking down the beliefs and what she knows that allow her to make that money, then that's going to be a scary place for her to be. So it's often a very hard place to be where you see someone doing something that's detrimental to their health, but they don't want to hear what you have to say. So, you know, it's tough. Um, But I will say that a lot of it is honestly, it's common sense. So there's no one that can argue that essential I mean essential oils are antimicrobial. It's in all the literature. It's what they're promoted for. Every essential oil has antimicrobial properties to it. Antifungal, bacterial, anti-yeast. And that is what our microbiome is made of. And these are broad spectrum antimicrobials they are used instead of um, antibiotics in cattle, in animal food, cattle feed. And so this is like the number one hazard of them. In my mind, there's other hazards, plenty of other hazards as well, but whether they're inhaled or taken internally or applied topically, they're going to negatively affect the microbiome. And the microbiome has a huge role in our immune health, our digestive health, And our emotional health. So, just starting there, because it's a known fact that they are antimicrobial and it's not something that any aromatherapist is going to argue, Um, but to just bring that to their awareness of what's the difference between essential oils and pharmaceutical antibiotics in their effects and what are we really doing to ourselves here. And then, other than that, I would say specifically, Googling or researching on for scientific studies or, that involve endocrine disruption and essential oils and also um, liver toxicity and essential oils, um, how many people have been hospitalized per year due to essential oils, and mitochondrial disruption due to essential oils. So those are all kind of researches, more specific researches to to get into. If you want to spend the time and energy um, to provide her with information that she really doesn't want to hear, and you might just cause more of a schism in your friendship than than wanted. You know, maybe the better tactic would be, how can we support your? immune system, your liver, and your digestive system to help you herbally um, support your body through this usage of these poisonous essential oils. Okay, so thanks for your questions, and thanks for listening to my intro there on different herbal wan- wanderings of my brain this week. And now, let's get into Cinnamon. So cinnamon is the bark. The cinnamon spice is the bark made from the bark of a tree. In cinnamon, there's about 100 species of the cinnamomum. Cinnam- yeah, cinnamomum <laughs> uh, genus. The cinnamon spice comes from the inner bark, also known as the cambium layer, which is often the part of the, when herbalists say the bark of an herb, it's that inner bark versus the outer, you know, dead bark. It's like the inner live bark. The spice that we use uh, comes from one of two species of cinnamon trees. These two species are similar, but also quite different. So they are um, cassia, which is cinnamomum, Cassia, otherwise synonymous with Cinnamomum aromaticum, and then there is the sweet cinnamon, which is Cinnamomum xylanicum, or also known as Cinnamomum verum. And the cassia is widely found in the spice aisles of grocery stores across the United States. It's what you're generally going to find labeled as cinnamon. It's less expensive than the sweet cinnamon and easier to come by. It can be found as quills, uh, which are those like long rolled sticks, chips, or powder. The quill is made of a hard, thick, single layer of bark that is dark to reddish brown in color. Now the cassia has a really pungent flavor to it. It's a little spicier and it's not easy to grind at home because it's quite hard. The cinnamon and it's, so this cinnamon species is native to China and Japan and it's part of the traditional herbal medicine in China. Now there is also the sweet cinnamon which is native to Sri Lanka, formerly known by its colonized name, Ceylon. And this is thought by many to be the true cinnamon, the quote unquote true cinnamon. And you can tell the difference when you have the quills, the sticks of cinnamon, because it consists of these thinner strips of bark that are layered into the quills. It's also available as chips and powder. It's a lot softer and more delicate in texture and flavor than the cassia. It's also more expensive and a little bit harder to source. Although these days with online ordering, just about anything is easy to source. And as the common name suggests, it has a sweeter, lighter flavor than the cassia. Cinnamon has a rich history and was highly revered in ancient cultures and religions. Cinnamon-infused oil, possibly infused in animal fat, was a holy anointing oil used by ancient Hebrews. In the Bible, Moses made a holy anointing oil with two types of cinnamon— Egyptians used cinnamon oil during the mummification process. I imagine it was an infused oil or an infused animal fat that was used for ritualistic reasons. It's scent and for its antimicrobial properties. 2,000 years ago, cinnamon was worth more than its weight in gold and silver. According to Pliny the Elder, a Roman author and naturalist who lived in AD 24-79, to cinnamon was worth 15 times the value of its weight in silver. Cinnamon tastes delicious and is antimicrobial, so it was useful for food preservation and improving the taste of food that was not well-preserved to begin with, and that's likely why it was so valuable. And this is very similar to what we were talking about last week in the ginger episode. Arab merchants originally ran the cinnamon trade, promoting stories of its magical powers to keep the price high. Some powers it was thought to behold include powers to enhance spirit, success, healing, lust, protection, love, and psychic abilities. It was used in sachets, anointing oils, incense, and tea. In the 16th century, Europeans entered the spice trade, yielding violent and long struggles to control the cinnamon plantations and wild groves. What is now known as Sri Lanka went through both Dutch and British occupation, mostly for the resources of tea and cinnamon. At that time, it was called Ceylon, yielding Ceylon tea and Ceylon cinnamon, now called sweet cinnamon, or Ceylon cinnamon. Both were prized herbs by the colonizing countries. The skillful trade of cinnamon foraging, cultivation, and harvest has been passed down through family lines in the places it is grown. Cinnamon bark is harvested and processed by hand just after the rainy monsoon season. The bark peels more easily from the trees during this time. The outer bark is cut and peeled off, and then the inner bark is peeled off of that and laid to dry. And as it dries, it curls into the the quills. Once it's fully dry, the quills are cut and shipped. Pieces that don't make it into the quills are ground to a powder or sold as chips. I love that this one tree, or two trees, I guess, actually, are steeped in so much human history and ritual, and it's really enjoyable to think about that when I smell cinnamon or as I add it to muffin recipes or drink it in tea, just to think of how important it was to people and that, you know, it Wars and violence and colonization happened just for this one plant, its resource, which is that part is very unfortunate, but that it was seen to be so valuable, more valuable than gold and silver at one time. So let's talk about some of the medicinal properties of cinnamon. We've already mentioned that it's antimicrobial, and this includes antibacterial, antifungal, and antiviral. And in this way, it's beneficial for people who are fighting infections or have a cold or flu. It's also known to fight fungus like athlete's foot. And the powder of cinnamon can be directly applied to the area where the fungus is, so... If you have athlete's foot between your toe, you could try putting some cinnamon powder on, you know, on your feet or maybe mixing it with some baking soda and using that as a foot powder. Cinnamon tea is warming. It helps blood and heat circulate to the extremities of the body. It's helpful for people who are chilled, have a fever that's making them feel cold or people that have chronically cold hands and feet and or people who have poor circulation which usually leads to the cold hands and feet and this is um very similar to all of those lovely warming spices and uh, similar to the ginger that we talked about last week as well Because of its warming, circulating, and antimicrobial properties, cinnamon tea or tincture are effective against lung infections. It's a nice remedy for sore and infected throats. Cinnamon actually also has some really nice demulcent and emollient properties to it. It's very soothing to mucous membranes. And you can get that soothing mucilage extracted from the cinnamon in a water extract in a tea when the water is cool or at room temperature. So some, I, what I would do is I would normally make a tea and then I would allow it to sit. I would you know, make it with the hot water first and then I would just kind of allow it to sit for a while as it cools with the herb still in it. Some people might just, if you only want that mucilage from the cinnamon and a little bit of the flavor, then you can just, you know, put some cinnamon chips or maybe some, you could do some powder into some cool or room temperature water and just let it sit for a few hours and see what kind of slimy texture you can get from it. But it's really nice for sore throats, especially that aren't super inflamed because, you know, it is it is warming. It can be, especially depending on the cinnamon that you use and how much you use, it can be a little spicy and which could lead toward inflammation. But if you feel cold and if your energetics are generally cool, then cinnamon might be the herb for you. There's a lot of cooling mucilaginous herbs, not a whole lot of warming mucilaginous herbs, I would say. Cinnamon is classically used for fighting infections in the mouth. Think about cinnamon toothpaste or cinnamon toothpicks or cinnamon candy (laughs) Um, that you suck on. I think that these all relate Originally, all those are made with essential oil, but originally before essential oil, um, I think cinnamon was classically used in the mouth. It's both astringent, so it tightens the mucous membranes, but also demulcent, so it also can soothe and coat them, which is really beneficial for the gums. Plus, it tastes good. So if you're going to be working with an herb in your mouth, you probably want it to taste good. It's a lot better for compliance. However, too much cinnamon and cinnamon essential oil can be very harmful to the mouth's microbiome and to the delicate tissues in the mouth. So if you're using a lot of cinnamon... Toothpaste or toothpicks that have a lot of this essential oil in them, just be be aware that that can actually cause harm. Cinnamon tooth powder tea or tincture as a rinse is probably a better way to go. Imagine making a tooth powder uh, toothpaste of your own that would be like some baking soda and some cinnamon powder maybe just those two things, or you could also maybe put a little bit of yarrow powder in there too, which also has some really nice astringent properties, um, stops bleeding if you have really bloody gums, um, and is antimicrobial. This is the yarrow that I just talked about. Okay, back to the cinnamon. Uh, Cinnamon is beneficial for improving digestion. It's especially helpful when there's a lot of gas or bloating, cramping, nausea, diarrhea, or even an infection in the gut. So it makes a great after-dinner tea. Um, Plus, it's like a little sweet. So it makes like, it kind of curbs the craving for desserts after dinner. It is kind of a dessert unto itself, especially if you put a little honey in it cinnamon not only quells the cramping in your intestines, but as many herbs that do that, it also can quell the cramping in the uterus. So it's helpful to ease menstrual cramps and to bring on a menstrual flow. And so for this reason, of course, cinnamon's not recommended in large therapeutic doses for women who are pregnant. Although, no one's telling you if, when you're pregnant not to eat anything that's flavored with cinnamon. I mean, it would have to be like really large therapeutic doses. Cinnamon tea or food in the food has also been shown to help lower blood pressure and cholesterol levels when needed. It can improve the body's metabolic pathways in general. So the latest finding around cinnamon's health benefits are that it's also has the ability to lower blood glucose and insulin levels in people who have insulin resistance or type two diabetes. It's not been shown to lower blood glucose in people who do not need it lowered, however, which is that beautiful herbal wisdom that the herbs and our bodies work together so well. It doesn't seem to have a compounding. Oh, it does. It does seem to have a compounding effect when combined with medication that also lowers blood glucose. So, because of this, again, if you're using therapeutic doses, which is actually quite a lot of cinnamon, it's important for people who are on such medication to closely monitor their glucose levels and make adjustments as needed and also work with their healthcare professional. So this is, I mean, people who are dealing with glucose levels are checking them regularly and monitoring them anyway. So it was interesting just to pay attention to the effects of the cinnamon plus your medication. So therapeutic doses of cinnamon range from one to six grams by weight. It's not so much of a concern when it's added in small amounts to food. It's like, you know, you have to be taking it pretty much by the tablespoon multiple times a day. You know, it might not seem like a strong herbal medicine, as we add, you know, a teaspoonful to cookie batter or casseroles. However, there is this therapeutic dose of the powder in a range from the one to six grams. Also, a tea or a tincture can be beneficial by the cupful for the tea or a dropperful for the tincture. One gram of cinnamon powder is about two teaspoons. So six grams would be 12 teaspoons. And cinnamon, you know, it's a pretty strong flavored herb. So at that dose of 12 teaspoons, you know, one to three times a day, that's a very high dose. And I think it would be hard for compliance to keep up on a regular basis because it's such an intense herb. It was, So it basically it would also be really beneficial to break up your therapeutic dose um, like throughout your day. Start small and see what works for you. If I was interested in working with cinnamon therapeutically, I would consume it in different ways throughout the day, listening to my body and to my intuition to determine what worked best for me. I may start my day with oatmeal, Or stewed apples with a teaspoon of cinnamon. And then I might have some in a smoothie. A teaspoon of cinnamon in a smoothie. Then I might drink some cinnamon tea throughout the day. And then if I felt like I wanted or needed more, I would have an after-dinner snack that had cinnamon in it. Like yogurt with cinnamon and toasted nuts and stewed apples or something. So... You know, if you really want to work with it therapeutically, it's like having cinnamon throughout the day. However, cinnamon can also be quite powerful and can actually poison or burn you. Again, it would be in really high amounts or in the super concentrated essential oils. The essential oils are very high in a chemical called cinnamaldehyde that will burn and deteriorate body tissues. Extremely large doses of cinnamon powder have been shown to cause poisoning. So people who consumed 36 grams, which is six times the upper therapeutic dose, that would be 72 teaspoons, which seems like that would be a really hard level to get to. But if you were to get to that level of (laughs) taking in cinnamon, then you might experience dizziness, blurred vision, rapid pulse, increased intraocular pressure, cough, decreased urine production, and thirst. So don't overdo it. Too much is just too much, but I think it would be really hard to get to that level. You'd have to really be trying hard to get there. Cinnamon has such a strong flavor that it would be nearly impossible, I think, especially if you are tasting it as you eat it. Like maybe if you were taking a bunch of capsules, so you weren't tasting it. So your body didn't have a way of monitoring the intake. But if you're really listening to your body and tasting the herb, I don't think that you would get that far. Uh, generally, people who have stomach or intestinal ulcers could be more easily affected negatively by the cinnamon because of the, the hot spiciness and the potential irritation it could cause. So no fireball for you. Cinnamon, especially cassia, which is the more pungent and common cinnamon, is known to contain coumarins. Uh so it, which the coumarins are interesting because there's like a, there's like 13 different types of coumarins some thin the blood some thicken the blood and some don't have any effect on the blood but generally herbs that have coumarins in them aren't recommended for people who are already taking pharmaceutical blood thinners because it could have a compounding effect So, I mean, obviously you can eat your cinnamon-spiced apple muffin, but don't take six teaspoons of cinnamon a day, or unless you're monitoring and being checked. So I hope that this has given a new perspective on the common spice that is sitting right in your cabinet, from ritual use throughout history to a delicious addition to food, to an herbal medicine, and even potentially to a poison. It's all about how you relate and connect with this wonderful plant. How can you build a relationship with this herb, and how could it enhance your life and well-being? One fun way to start is with a delicious cup of hot chocolate and cinnamon, and then you can take it from there. So to make your cup of hot chocolate and cinnamon, take your milk or whatever type of milk substance you enjoy, warm it to almost a simmer on the stove, add, you know, for every cup of milk, add at least a tablespoon of cocoa powder, add a teaspoon or more of sugar, depending on how sweet you like it. And then add a teaspoon of cinnamon or when you're simmering your milk, put a cinnamon stick or warming your milk, I should say, put a cinnamon stick in there as you warm it. Cinnamon and chocolate are a lovely combination. Enjoy. Have fun with it. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you. If you appreciate this podcast, I would love a quick five-star rating and even a short review would be awesome. Mm -hmm. It can just even be a sentence. It doesn't have to be much, but it really helps this podcast become more visible and helps get this really helpful, healthy herb information into the hands of more interested people. I value your feedback. Reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, my website, all under Soledago Herb School. And reach out and say hi. I'd like to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs.